The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. If you're not familiar with the show, I've had the show, actually, I can't even believe this, since 2011, and you can check out the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And standing by to join me is Ling Ling Huang. She's written this great book called Natural Beauty. This is her debut novel, and she's going to join us right now. Good morning, Ling Ling. Good morning, Janine. Congratulations. How does it feel to have a book out? Oh, it feels pretty exciting and unreal, and I'm not sure it's totally sunk in yet. (laughs) Uh, When did you know you wanted to write this book? I had been writing it for a while, almost as a journal, um, and it wasn't until the pandemic happened and I lost all of my other work as a violinist that I really sat down and decided to collect everything and make it into a feasible narrative. It feels like a movie. Oh, thank you. I, I'm excited to say that it will be, um, it's been optioned for limited series. Very so. exciting. Very exciting. Could you um, share with the listeners a little bit about the process of writing the book? Because I, I love how you go back between the two worlds. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so the story of Natural Beauty, it's, it's about a pianist who has a really promising career and has to give everything up in order to support her parents. Um, And then she ends up in this really fascinating and unregulated world of uh, beauty and wellness. Um, And a lot of that is informed by my own experiences as a classical violinist, um, as someone who's worked in the clean beauty and wellness industry. And I also, um, you know, I'm Asian American, so there is a lot about identity in there as well. Um, And so... I was kind of straddling these two worlds, trying to make it as a freelance violinist in New York. And uh, in my, um, I I had a ton of commute time between gigs and working at this clean beauty store. And so I just started writing on my notes app things that I noticed, um, particularly from, you know, being someone who uh, was Asian American at a store where the customers and and my coworkers were predominantly white and very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just writing down things I noticed, things that made me a little uncomfortable, um, especially a lot of the products that I, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid really hard. So I was <laughs> I noticed <just> ingesting. <laughs> Sorry. No, I noticed that. When I was reading the book, I was like, well, that's what we do, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I've gotten better at asking questions, but I definitely still, I'm, I'm still interested in everything that promises to make you your best self. Mm-hmm. So, why is it we are so obsessed with being our best selves? It's all over. Like you read articles about this, right? I think we live in such a highly optimized world. It doesn't seem like you could be enough in this yeah. world where we supposedly have all the answers available at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. Um, And because we have supposedly access to everything, there's no reason we shouldn't also be everything and do everything. And so that intense pressure, I think, um, catalyzes this need for us to seek out things, which, you know, companies are, are very happy to monetize 
this desire. Sure, sure. You know, like, let's cover up these pimples and let's hide those bags and because, you know, you can, you can do better kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And I think, I mean, as I've gotten older, I, I did this on uh, Saturday. I was going to an event and I knew, okay, I got to be dressy. It was this beautiful event in Topanga Canyon. And I thought, okay, I'm going to wear a dress and I was going to wear heels. And I thought, but what about those tie-dye Fila's sneakers? Like, <laughs> and I wouldn't normally <laughs> yeah. have done that. But I thought, I just want to be me, mm-hmm. right? But it's hard. It is so hard. They push solutions that are meant to be, you know, for every single person. But we're all such unique individuals mm-hmm. with, you know, very different backgrounds. How could it be that they could mass target something that works for everyone. I love that you went with your tie-dye sneakers. Uh, Me too. (laughs) And you know what's so funny? I got compliments from people that were wearing all kinds of different shoes. And I said, you know what? I just wanted to be comfortable. And I thought that these were kind of cool with this bubblegum pink dress. Why not? Oh, that sounds great. Also, Topanga Canyon, from what I've heard, that sounds like a a much smarter shoe choice. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm glad I did it. Tell me about some of these, um, you know, beauty standards in this store, like certain things that they were doing. Yeah, um, I think beauty standards everywhere are kind of homogenizing. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you're, you know, you could be in America, you can be in L.A., you can be in New York, um, you could be in Seoul or you can be in Japan. And you can kind of see that everyone is trying trying to aim for this kind of middle area of of looks, and certain places will be more extreme. Um, but in general, there there is such a consensus every moment on what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen, especially recently with all of this like return to the '90s talk, um, these are all just trend cycles, and um, in you know, in 10 years, in five years, are the people who have gotten their buccal fat removed, you know, are they still going to be happy with that decision? It's unclear, and I would hope that they, they will be, but it's definitely manipulative, these new standards that are kind of created um, largely by companies that are trying to sell us something new and ideally something that will depend on. Yes. In five years, they'll probably... The same people who were pushing buccal fat removal will probably be like, all of you who had it removed, here's how to undo that. Here's yes. a new surgery um, to fill or, you know, here are new products that can fill out that area. Yes. So it's interesting you mention uh, it's pronounced buccal fat, B-U-C-A-L, correct? Um, I'm not, I, you know, it's a word that I've read so often that yeah. now I'm That's okay. how I'm However, we're going to pronounce it. A student that I know sent me this TikTok and mm-hmm. someone spoke for like 30 minutes. I think she was in her 20s about all of these procedures that are highlighted on TikTok to change mm-hmm. a woman's face or body. And one was the that fat removal in your face. So, um, so you're kind of mm-hmm. uh, concave and indented. And I thought... That is so scary that in your 20s, you're thinking, ooh, I need to do that. Yeah, it is scary. And, um, like, that's definitely something that's very, you know, coming from Chinese culture, to remove that area of my face, um, I would be removing the parts of my body that 
signified wealth in, in Chinese culture. So it's just interesting um, that certain things like that aren't being talked about, that our bodies are not all the same and we come from culturally diverse backgrounds. And, you know, so even if I were tempted to do something like that, I love that my culture gives a significant meaning to that part of my body. Um, and that kind of grounds me yes. so that it's less interesting to me. And and here you were, you're working at the store and you're taking care of your parents because they had had, were they, I forget, were they ill or they have an accident? Oh, yes. My parents are actually fine. They are thriving in, in Houston, Texas. Okay. Um, but in, in the book, the parents are, yes, they, they're in this horrific accident that, you know, it's, it's not the main character's fault, but... Yeah. There's definitely a lot of guilt for mm-hmm. for how things happened. Yeah. Was um, it? I was going to say. Oh, yeah. um, when you were writing this, you put in some uh, things that really happened, and then you put in uh, fiction. Yes. That was a great blend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I hope that it worked. Um, I wanted to touch on you know it's it's not fun to make someone's fictional parents, even if they are fictional, um, get into a horrific accident. Right. But uh, I thought to kind of emphasize a lot of the familial values and um, the importance of heritage mm-hmm. over beauty trends, um, I felt like that would be the most impactful. And it was a way to honor, especially like East Asian cultures. E- even in America, there's, there's a duty of care that we have towards immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Um, that I see in a lot of other immigrant cultures as well, um, and I, I thought it was a nice way to to write about that as well. And so, uh, your process for writing this book was it was it easy to write this, or was it a process where you um, you know like the style evolved? Oh, um, I don't I don't think it was easy. I don't think I think writing is easy if if you accept that it's going to be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But then as soon as you're in the editing process, which I feel like most of my writing is, mm-hmm. is editing, mm-hmm. um, then it just feels terrible. So yeah. I, I thought it was difficult. I relied a lot on favorite pieces of classical music that I felt had a similar tone to what I was trying to achieve. Interesting. Um, so I would listen to these works and, and kind of write... Um, almost like the music was a room that I could mm-hmm. sit in. I love that. So, for instance, did you listen to Rachmaninoff? Because you mentioned that. Yes. Well, I got to um, put in so many piano works that I've never played since I'm a violinist and that I've always wanted to play. I think the most influential in terms of tone is um, Prokofiev's Cinderella Ballet. Mm. Um, just because... It, it, in the overture, there's there's a stunning melody, like almost like a shimmering dark fairy tale, um, with high string playing. Um, but underneath that is this really low and dark bass um, by lower strings, and that reminds me so much of you know the glittering promises of the American dream, of, of classical music, and of beauty. You know, if you work hard. If you're wealthy enough to get all the products and the procedures, yeah. um, you can be anything you want. But then underneath it all, there's, there's this dark underbelly that, that lies beneath all of those promises. 
And by the way, at what point did you switch to violin? Because do you play piano anymore? Um, I started piano, ballet, and violin when I was four because my parents, um, they were like, this is, she's just going to do one of those three things. Okay. Um, I, being raised in in Texas, I gave up ballet for cheerleading, I think, (laughs) within like two to three years. Oh, that's funny. Um, And I played piano for 10 years, but um, it's so much more difficult to be a professional pianist, you know, an orchestra might need one or two pianists at most, and then most orchestras need 30 to 50 violinists. I see. Usually 30. Yeah. So, That's, so I quit <laughs> piano. Well, you're, you're still extremely musical. I mean, you have played all over the place. I, I saw in your bio you played with different ensembles, uh, the Music Kitchen, Washington Heights Chamber Orchestra, um, and you also won a Grammy Award in 2021. Amazing. I did. It was, a, it was an ensemble Grammy. I was really excited to be part of this group that resurrected a work that had never been performed before um, by Ethel Smythe. And, yeah, that was a thrill to be a part of. And, yeah, very That's exciting. Beautiful. That is so exciting. Anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with about uh, this debut novel, Natural Beauty? Um, well, it comes out tomorrow, um, so I'm really excited for that. And um, I hope that it's fun and that it's a reminder that uh, deeper than any trend or system, you're valuable for who you are, which is something that I feel like it took me way too long to realize about myself. Um, first of all, congratulations on it coming out tomorrow. And one thing I wanted Thank to ask, you. are there people that you used to work with that say, is that me in the book? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I actually, I loved all of my coworkers at the store. That's great. Um, and it's, it's hopefully comes off more as a critique of the system, um, at the beauty industry as a whole, and especially clean beauty and all of the things that are, you know, throw away everything you have because it's killing your puppies when they lick your face and, Ugh. and grab these new clean products and, right. uh, you know, try this celery enema, <laughs> like yeah. all of these, these things that are just kind of yeah. fear-mongering and manipulative. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I loved my coworkers, and I did take one thing from one of them, which was this one coworker I had had especially fabulous hair, and mm. I, I found a way for that hair to make it onto the head of one of the characters. I love that. I love that. A good shout-out to your coworker. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you? Um, they can go to my website, uh, linglingkwong.com. I am pretty bad at being on Instagram, but I have one at Violin Squared. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, they can find me in the bookstore. Fantastic. And where are you? Are you doing a virtual book tour or in person or both? Um, I have an event at Powell's tomorrow in Portland, Oregon, and I have one in Houston, Texas in a couple weeks, and um, in May, I'll be in Columbus, Ohio, Fantastic. Um, and I'll also be at the Epigraph Literary Festival, but that one is a virtual festival. That's virtual. When is that one? Um, that one, I think, is the end of this week. Okay. I might be mistaken. Okay. <laughs> I can find out, and I'll put it up on the show blog. Okay, thank you so much. All right. I will send you that info. Fantastic. Congratulations. I enjoyed meeting you. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Ling Ling Huang talking about her debut novel, Natural Beauty. If you missed any part of this, I will have this conversation up on the show blog within an hour. The show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to listen to a segment I did um, a while ago because there is an art exhibit that is still at the Beale Center for Art and Technology called Difference Machines, and it'll be here till the end of April. Technology and Identity in Contemporary Art. And um, if you visit the show blog and you look for uh, the Beale Center and Claire Trevor School of the Arts, you will find it. So we're going to listen to that right now. <laughs> 